With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. To the Managing Midget Podcast. It is a Thursday edition, uh, bonus edition of sorts, because we 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 didn't really have a Girona journalist to bring in for a match preview. Um, last night we did a mailbag for patrons, and we just thought, hey, what the hell? Matt Wiltsey wrote a great article last week about the signings that Real Madrid have made um, of you know the promising youngsters since the t- turn of the century. And we thought, hey, let's bring Matt on to talk about his article. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm excited to uh, talk about this article, especially given uh, Vinicius just scored a nice double last night. So it comes at a good time. We got a youngster up and coming, and now we can uh, take a look back at some of these guys we've signed over the past 21st century and uh, see how, how all these careers kind of panned out. They're all different. They all have their di- a different story, so it'll be fun. So your article was called Taking a Look Back, Real Madrid Wonder Kids of the 21st Century. Um, and it was to, to examine the careers of Real Madrid's former young stars. Well, not all former, some are current. But basically, tell us the parameters. Like, what, what fit your criteria in writing this article? So tried to keep the parameters pretty simple but pretty strict at the same time. Um, we're looking back at each season since the start of the 21st century 
and we examine any signing or official promotion to the Real Madrid first team. So not debut, it's actual promotion from Castilla uh, to the first team. And the player has to be at or below the age of 20. And then for most of these guys, we have perspective. Obviously, some of these guys are still in their career or ongoing, but we have a large enough sample size to use uh, as perspective and kind of talk about how their career panned out. You and based on those parameters, like you and I talked about this off air a bit, um, it surprisingly narrows it down more than I think you would generally would anticipate. If you if you made a list of all of the you know the best young Real Madrid players, it would be very long. If you were to narrow it down to players who have made their debut or called up to the first team under the age of twenty, it's surprisingly small. Um, and so, so I guess, were you surprised about that? Were you surprised that the list ended up being shorter than you? I'm sure you were relieved, too, because you didn't have to write like yeah. 8 million words. Yeah, you're right in both, on both occasions. Um, I was surprised, but when you, I mean, when you think about it, a lot of guys, if, if I just upped the parameter by one year to 21, I think the, li- the list would have been a lot longer. Um, and a lot of guys, like, they make their debut maybe at 20 or 19, but they don't actually officially get promoted. They play one game, and then they're off on loan. And, yes, they're hyped up, but were they They weren't actually part of that first-team squad. So that I wanted, I wanted to keep the list uh, a good size, but also guys that were actually part of this team, actually part of Real Madrid, and were full bona fide, like, star, young stars. I mean, we all had... For most of them, high hopes. Some of them fulfilled those hopes, and some of them did not. Um, I may, I may have, like, I, I didn't, I didn't go through and take the time and see if I can prove you wrong if there's a player you missed. Um, and I honestly have, have no energy for that, and I completely trust you because you're a fantastic writer and you know your shit. But something that came to my mind, like just now, there was a player called Miguel Palanca. Do you remember him? Yes. I didn't. I don't. Do you consider? I get. Was he promoted? I don't uh, know. So he made his debut 2008. That was 10 years ago. Yeah, uh, I, re- I remember. He made his debut during the Classica. Yeah. I don't know if he actually fits under 20. I think he may have been 20 at the time. At any rate, he's not significant enough to make a list regardless if he fits the criteria or not. The only reason I yeah. mention it is because the Miguel Palanca experience, which lasted three games, I think. For Real Madrid, he was twenty-one. Was he twenty-one? Okay. Yep. Let's let's talk about him because he's yeah. He is, otherwise no one will ever know about him <laughs> until the day we die, and it's our duty here today to make him relevant for ten seconds. <laughs> Miguel Palanca. Uh, he's was born in in Tarragona, Spain. He's now thirty. He's playing four. He's still playing. That's a, so. Two things uh, blew my mind about just looking this up right now. He's still playing, uh, and he's playing in Greece. And he's only thirty years old. It's it. I feel like it was like three decades ago when we saw him come on against Barca. And the story of that game goes: um, that was the December Clasico in two thousand eight, and we were going into the camp. No, literally, was zero players. Um, there was, everyone was injured. Everyone from Robin and Robinho, like our whole like starting 11 was basically makeshift and we had no one to go into that game with. We lost 2-0. 
And in the second half, we're like, okay, well, this game is clearly out of reach. I don't even think it was possible to find anyone on the bench you could bring on. And this guy, kid named Miguel Palenka, comes on. And no one even knew him at the time. It's not like he was blowing away anything with Castilla. He was promoted just for that game. And he came on for Schneider. He came on in the second half at some point. And that was it. And then I think he played another game against Valencia later in the season. And and he was gone. So there's shot, there's a shout out to Palenka. Do you remember anything yeah, he made, differently from him? Yeah, he made. It looks like he made three appearances for the team that year. And like you said, I remember. I remember just being completely shocked when he came on. He, I, be, I believe, he came on at halftime. I was just like, "Who is this kid? I've, ne- I've never even heard of him." There was no, no one had heard of him. Like there was no talk of him in Castilla. Um, he wasn't one of those big up and coming names. And Juan de Ramos just threw him on there. And he actually, he didn't play, I remember, he didn't play poorly in that Clasico. Uh, he didn't really have a big impact. We ended up losing, but um, he, he didn't play poorly. And he never was really given much of an opportunity after those two games, like Real Madrid and then Valencia a week later. But after that, he, he was just kind of forgotten about. Um, that was that was a game where I think our expectations were, were, were crazy low. And... Um, actually, maybe some revisionist history. The, the, the team wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but we were missing Robin. We were missing uh, Robinho. We were missing... I um, can't remember who else we were missing. But basically, I remember we had that one opportunity in the first half where Drenthe was one-on-one with Valdez, and he missed it. And that was like our that. one chance to, to, to salvage anything from this game. Who, by the way, Drenthe is on your list. So let's get into it. The first name on your list is Sergio Ramos. Um, needs no introduction. He, um, you mentioned that we signed him for 27 million euros. At the time, it seemed steep, record for a teenager. Um, but we can all agree that he's been a bargain. Yeah, I mean, and we, I, I mentioned in the article, looking back, I mean, there were there were definitely growing pains. Um, the game against Barcelona where Ronaldinho just, oh my God, peak Ronaldinho. No one could stop him. So you got to feel for a young Sergio, but he just had his way with him. And then I think everyone remembers the Champions League round of 16 against Arsenal at home, first leg in the Santiago Bernabeu. And Thierry Henry just has his way, goes through our whole team and stiff arms Ronaldo, uh, Ramos on his way to, way to goal. And, um, but... I, I know we've talked about it a little bit before. I think even at 19 years old, Ramos for me was, he was, I mean, granted, the quality of our squad was far, far inferior to what it is now, but he was still, he was a, one of the first names on the team sheet. He was, especially his second season when he started playing right back, um, he was, he I was just so impressed with him as a teenager. He just had all the physical tools. He had the technique. Like you could see that he was going to be a great player. And you saw, like you saw, kind of already at that young age, the leadership qualities in him. Like you saw, he was going to be a future cog for Madrid. Um, so I, I, I mean, obviously he went through his growing pains, and I think people sometimes maybe forget that. But at the same time, I don't want people to think like he wasn't one of the best teenagers out there because he was. His talent, his agility, his athleticism uh, at that time was unbelievable. Like it was, it's like, oh my God, is this, how is this guy a defender? And 
he just he's a freak. He was he was an athletic freak and it's kind of crazy to look back now. Like you you mentioned um the the Ronaldinho getting carved by Ronaldinho and Henri and you know, peak Ronaldinho and Henri, which they were both were at the time by the way. Um could do that to anyone. So it's so we kinda of give him some some slack there. But the weird thing is that Ramos had all these wrinkles in his game throughout like and a lot of growing pains as you mentioned and it wasn't until later in his career where he became like a big game player like where we really relied on him like I had no doubts going into Paris that Ramos will step up win or lose because we see a lot of brain farts in the smaller games but in the big games there's never been a question um, especially later in his career the interesting thing about him is that when he was a right back he was vocal about saying he wanted to be a center back. And we were all like, no, please don't give this guy what he asked for because he'd be a disaster there. Um, his positioning seems wonky. He attacks a lot. And now you look back, you're like, how was this guy ever a right back? Like, thank God for that transition because you're like, when you look at him play now stylistically, you can't even picture him, the fact that he was a right back for so much of his career and he just transitioned there. But I think you're thankful for it. It's, and it's weird. I remember the last time we experimented putting him back there as a right back in a big game, in a meaningful game, was when Mourinho did it in Dortmund. And we got roasted just collectively. And, and that was like the last time we saw him there. And sometimes you just forget that this guy was a right back, you know? Yeah, he. I, th- I feel like he... Uh... When he really came of age was when Mourinho moved him in back into center back because he was playing right back for, I mean, even when Mourinho's first year, he was still playing a little bit of right back. And uh, I, I, I honestly, because his first season with the club as a 19-year-old, he actually started and played as a center back. And then when Capello came in, he moved him out to right back. And I always always preferred him as a center back I always thought he was much better as a center back because he always he seemed to always get caught out and um, he he fouled just so much as a right back um, he always he was always getting caught out and just fouled a lot but one thing that he was able to provide back then with his incredible like you said agility and athleticism all the physical attributes he really had um, he could just bomb forward and he was a great attacking right back um, and his cutback, his Cruyff, and his little cutback was was famed. So, um, and growing up, I mean, I played a lot of right back. So growing up, uh, he was the guy I looked to, and uh, that cutback became one of my go-to moves. So I credit Sergio for that. I think it was the 06-07 season. I could be wrong. Where we we beat Barca two 0 in the Clasico, and it was like within the first minute where right back Ramos bombs up the field. And puts in this beautiful cross to Raul, yep, who heads rem- home. I remember and, that. That was the best. <laughs> yeah, that was like the, my main memory as Ramos is right back. Like, wow, he could yeah. do that, and we just yeah. we forgot that 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 version of Ramos exists. And I think we like that the transition we see now. We see what he's become. Um, but it's just kind of weird to think about. Like he was such a different player earlier in his career. And I mean, and that's that's kind of the point. Like we can see how these guys all evolve, and they're not yeah. going to be the same player that they were at 19, 20, 21, 22 that they are at 
29, 30, 31. And same thing with Ronaldo. He's a completely different player. I know he's not on this list, obviously, but it's these guys are all going to evolve. They're all going to change. And it's one of the nice things is, is when you have someone like Ramos who comes in at 19, then grows up with this team, becomes a club legend, becomes a symbol of Madrissimo. Like, it's that's everything you could ever ask for when you sign one of these young players. And so we just got to... I think Ohm's talked about it before. You just got to enjoy the process and enjoy watching these guys develop. Because, yeah, not all of them are going to pan out, and we're going to keep going down the list here. But it's nice when you do have someone like Sergio Ramos come through. Like, that's that's what it's all about. So, Which, by the way, they almost never pan out. Like, statistically, factually, the, the percentage, the, the chance of one of those players panning out and becoming a Raul, becoming a Ramos, becoming a Casillas are insanely rare. So when when they do come along, you, you cling to them. And I wrote about this in my Raul article uh, earlier in the week. It's that we were waiting for a player like this since Di Stefano, essentially. And then we thought when Raul retired, we had no idea when we, we would get the next Raul. And it turns out Ronaldo came along and was blew everyone's minds away. But We've been waiting for like the next Raul, the next X, like so many times throughout our lives, and they just don't arrive, and they yeah. just don't live up to it, and they're so rare, and you just have to appreciate it, you know. Um, the next guy we're going to talk about was supposed to be the next Redondo, Fernando Gago, signed in two thousand six, two thousand seven. Along in that, in that was that this? It was the same year where it would be brought in Iguain and Marcelo. Did they all come in the yep. same window, or was? Yep, they all came in the winter market of 2006-2007 season, and uh, back then the president was Ramon Calderon. Uh, our sporting director was Mihat. I can never say his name well. Mihatovic. Yeah. yeah, and then Capello was the coach, and we had a lot. Our our squad was pretty old back then, a lot of players over 30. So they wanted to rejuvenate the squad and sign three uh, jewels quote-unquote, of the South American market. And Fernando Gago is probably the most talked about and most hyped of the three of Higuain, Gago, and Marcelo. Yeah. Um, I had really high hopes for Gago, as did a lot of people. But I was super excited about Gago. And, and certainly you're right. Out of those three who came that, sum- that winter, um, everyone was looking at Gago. I think if anyone if anyone saw like Iguain, for example, come around, it was like a bonus. Um, Marcelo was still relatively unknown then. We, we just didn't know. He was also the youngest of three. He was 18. That was actually at a weird time that even in Canada, we actually got a chance to see a lot of Boca Juniors. Um, they showed a lot on TV, both highlights, both full games. Um, and Gago was incredible. Like, we never really saw that version of Gago when he came over to Europe. Uh, by the way, he's still playing um, regularly for Boca, and he's back there, yeah. and he's part of the national team, so good for him to be able to prolong his career as much as possible. Um, he never lived up to it, bar like a few games here and there where he looked good, um, but he never could live up to certainly not even close to Redondo. Um, I think he was compared to him mostly because stylistically he was he was kind of elegant, but not as elegant. He was tall. He was a deep-lying playmaker. Um, but he wasn't nearly as efficient. His passing wasn't as good. His tackling was good. 
Um, but I'm not sure his positioning made up for it. And essentially, we got a couple years of Gago, a few years of Gago, a couple where he played consistently. And uh, I mentioned this on last night's patron podcast, Matt, because someone asked me to go through, someone asked if this was the darkest time to be a Real Madrid fan. And it's like, I had to just like set people straight, like, oh my God, no, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea what it was like. And yeah. 03, 04 was a disaster. The the early 90s, like towards the end of Butrogueno's time, was, was not impressive at all. We were mostly in the UEFA Cup. Uh, we finished sixth in the year, in the league one year. And there was those, like, what, dozen years that we go out in the Champions League? And there was six years, uh, six years, that was the worst. six years straight where we were going out in the round of 16. The most traumatizing of those six, in my opinion, there was all six of them were bad. The don't, um, but if I were to rank them, I think the most traumatizing was the 4-0 at Anfield where we lost uh, to Liverpool. And Gago just looked completely out of his depth. And not only in that game, and, and also just like in the 6-2 in El Clasico, um, him and last just, couldn't really mesh together in in the midfield and I won't lie if you go back and you think about Gago it's mostly bad memories unfortunately yeah, yeah. that 2008 I think it's 2008 2009 season we had the all white kits with the collar black stripes like the that's when we lost to Liverpool that's the 60 oh my god yeah that those were yeah. that was definitely a hard hard season um and I feel like Gago you're right he it's disappointing. He never lived up to his potential. I always liked him. I always had a soft spot for him. Yeah, me too. Um, he he just he was ravaged by injuries too. By the end, like by the end of his time with Madrid, he kept getting reoccurring knee injuries. And uh, he actually, I, I remember watching. I was like shocked to see him. He was back in the fold with Argentina um, earlier this year. And as soon as he came on, it was like two minutes. He was subbed on, and then as soon as he came on, he like his ACL and he started crying and he wanted to keep playing I felt so bad for him yeah um, but and that's just been a reoccurring theme in his career injuries have not helped him but you're right he just never I felt like he never had the system to to really he had the like at one point under Schuster it was I think the midfield was Gago Schneider Guti midfield three yeah. with Rubinho Rude and Raul in front of him and uh, like Gago is the lone defensive mid with that type of midfielder. You the, the, he was a kid who didn't have that. He didn't have the physical. He wasn't a Conte. He didn't have the physical tools to the motor or anything like that. He was more, if you wanted to, he was a more Pirlo type, a little bit more defensive than Pirlo because, like you said, he could make a tackle. But he wasn't the type of player that was just going to be an engine and motor and be able to cover all that ground and clean up everything. And when you got Guti and Schneider in front of you, he's not going to do much defensive work. He was. No wonder he didn't look too good. But then once we brought in last, he did have a partner. And even then, it's still, it was so disorganized. We never had a good system. And it, it just brought out the worst in uh, Gago, unfortunately. And I think Mourinho actually liked him and wanted to keep him around. But his injuries meant he could never play. His last, I think his last, um, his last year with us, he only played like five games or something because he just kept getting injured. Um, look, the... The, the Gago Guti Schneider thing was actually, in a way, um, completely amazing compared to some of the horror shows we saw, like in previous years. Because there would, I remember there were games where we had Guti and Beckham was were two central midfielders in a four four two. 
in all this, I feel I felt bad for Guti the most. I felt like he's he's probably the most talented of everyone in this midfield, and he's just. And there were games where he would actually carry the team, and I and I I felt better when Capello came around and kind of tried to solidify a bit. He paired Guti next to players like Mamadou Diara, Emerson, um, and just tried to to solidify it a bit, and and that really brought out the best in Guti. But you're right. I mean that that midfield. I think they were hoping. Gago could become a defensive midfielder, if not stylistically, at least in terms of like a modern presence where you don't, you're not a destroyer, but you're an organizer, uh, you're a distributor, and, and Gago just never could do that at an elite level. So of the yeah. three that came that, that winter, I think we can agree that Gago was the least successful. Yeah, and, and as, as we said, was the most hyped. The most hyped. The second most successful... And probably least hyped. I don't know if he was le- less hyped. No, I than think Marcelo was Marcelo was the least hyped. I think nobody knew. Nobody really knew Marcelo. So Iguain is. I think a lot of people had a hate love relationship with him, and it wasn't until his third season where he really took off. Like from '08 to '010, those two seasons, he was great. He was fantastic. I think the biggest knock on him. Because uh, by the end of it, his goal-scoring ratio was pretty good for Real Madrid. His biggest knock is that he never really could score those goals in Europe. It got better when he left. Like in Napoli, he was scoring goals in Europe. Um, with Juve, he's he's been good. This season, he's been good in Europe. It was great to see Iguain basically eat up so many La Liga teams for breakfast. One of the the worst images... I have, and it's not. It's not a bad image of him. It's. It's more of a. Uh, I'm trying to say it was a traumatizing moment. Was his open net miss against Leon, which was I think the sixth straight year at that point where we were knocked out at that stage of the Champions League. Yeah, I I began because I think that was the second straight year against Leon too. I despise Leon. I like. I, as a Madrid fan, we just we were. We didn't even like being paired against Leon. Like the, the if you want darker days, those are darker days. And um, but for me, I I personally I had more of the love relationship with Iguain. I really I some of the performances he had, like in 08, 09, the I don't you remember against Malaga, we were behind. It was at the Santiago Bernabeu. Um, I think it was three two. Malaga were winning. Iguain had already scored two goals, and then he scores. Two more. He scored four in the game. We ended up winning. It was like four three in the ninety something minute, yeah. and Higuain had scored all four goals. And I was just like, "Oh my god!" The, the, he put the team on his back. He was still only like twenty two, maybe twenty one then, and he he was phenomenal for us for a while. He scored crucial goals both times in Pamplona, uh, multiple in oh uh, seven oh eight, and then the season we won. Uh, I think it was eleven and twelve. Yeah. He he scored the winning goal in Pamplona against Osasuna. And um, honestly, for me, I think, again, injuries. After, do you remember he had that herniated lumbar disc in his back and he had to get surgery? I felt like he was never quite the same after he ha- he got that surgery in his back. And he, because Benzema couldn't, he beat Benzema the first year Benzema came, uh, came over to Madrid. And Higuain was the number one starting striker. And then the following year, he started out really well, was still the number one, and then he had that injury, and then he was never the same after that. He was never the same for Real Madrid, but he went on to be really, I, 
I think he's yeah. his peak was probably 15, 16 with Na- his last season with Napoli. He was yeah. just unbelievable. So I'm happy he got back to that level and probably actually surpassed the level. But he never got back to that level for Real Madrid. Um, and there was obviously there was always a debate: Benzema or Iguain, Benzema Iguain. In some cases, we saw both of them in a four four two. But you, you mentioned the four goals against Malaga. There was another one. It was against Sevilla. He didn't score. I think he may have scored a brace, but he scored for sure the winning goal. Also, that was like in the very last minute of the game. And or was, was maybe it was against Getafe. See, this is the thing. Like, we have a lot of good memories of Iguain in La Liga. It's just it never really translated to Europe. And like, the, yeah, you're right. The eye test backed it up. The numbers backed it up. It's. Um, I'm I'm glad he kind of like is getting the shtick off of him this year and you know scoring against Tottenham in the second leg and but and my God I mean that was the biggest justification was when we sold him was like I, we just don't know if he can he can put you uh, on his back in in a do or die Champions League game you know we, I just spent so much time writing that article about Raúl and half the article was just examples of Raúl going into these desperate situations and and scoring these really clutch goals and. We never really felt like that with Iguain in Europe. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, he. What we can say of Iguain is you're you're spot on. Like he, he never had that killer touch in Europe, and that's. I mean, Madrid is all about the Champions League, and that's what it's all about. And so, but what we can say is he was. I mean, at at the end of the day, this article is looking at were these kids Madrid quality, and Iguain was Madrid called. He is and was Madrid quality. He's proven to be one of the best strikers in the game with Napoli and Juventus. And so that's the other thing. Is, yeah, these kids. And he spent six largely successful years here. It's not like he was only here for two years. He spent six seasons at Madrid. So uh, not all these kids are going to spend their life at Madrid. And they may, they may end up being protagonists elsewhere. And they are still Madrid quality. And they still turn out to be great players. But they're not going to spend their life at Madrid. So... Uh, like we said, there's different stories for every player, and Higuain is one of those guys who, he was a great young player, great young signing, he turned out to be a phenomenal player, and turned out to be Madrid quality, but he he wasn't going to spend his whole career here. Marcelo, the cheapest of the three, the most successful, the biggest bargain. What what, what more can we say about him that hasn't been said already? I'm, I don't know. There's nothing. There's not he's the most for me he's the most unique player in world football. I yeah. There's never been a left back like him. Actually maybe a player like him. I yeah, I, 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 I I don't know if there's anyone that can dribble the way he does from his position. Um and I'm trying to think back. Like Roberto Carlos was a really really good uh Roberto Carlos was a different kind of dribbler. Like he's the type of player who would do like eighteen stepovers and beat you with pace, and that was really fun because he was like a bowling ball. He was like, he was strong, powerful, irreplaceable, indispensable, a legend. Marcelo's dribbling is completely different. It's controlled. It's composed. It's it's less about power and more about just pure raw skill in tight spaces, and. This is the craziest thing, is that very, very serious conversations can be taken place that Marcelo is better than Roberto Carlos now. And that was unfathomable, like, a few years ago. Like, even, because you mentioned in your article, it took six 
uh, it took what how many years that Marcelo kind of was kind of raw and and and, uh, and struggled. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't until really like till Jose Mourinho came around that he started to improve in defense and really and, started to make that position his own. And even then, um, it's not like he was a complete revelation defensively because. Yeah. And and we think we kind of think in our heads, oh, Marcelo came it, uh, a few years ago. Marcelo really stepped up. It really wasn't even that long ago. I think because I wrote an article about Marcelo in 2015 or 16 for 442, outlining all of his defensive frailties and backing it up and, and showing examples of how, how naive he can be defensively. And that was like two years ago. It was, I'm not even sure if it was two years ago, but I think... We've seen strides then, but even this season, we've seen a lot of things that, you know, like if you play Marcelo, you better have a defensive scheme that covers for him because you're not playing left back. You're playing an extra, uh, an extra unlocker of defenses from a deeper position. He's not a defender. So if you're going to play him, you have to have a scheme that accommodates for him. Um, and I think that's why you kind of see like a lot of the presences on the left, which is kind of weird. Like, because if you look at Zidane's scheme, you Bale, Benzema, these guys spend a lot of time on the left, Isco too. And on the right, it's like Carvajal almost has that whole flank to himself, unless Lucas Vasquez plays there, uh, on, unless Modric is doing a lot of deep work right in the flank. And it's weird because all the offensive firepower is on the left, and the defensive coverage is mostly on the right. And it it feels like it should be the opposite. Like so many times this season we've seen Marcelo just completely out of place and like, okay, it's fine. We have we have cover for him, right? And like, nope, we just we just don't. And um whether you go back to the game against uh Celta and Balaidos, uh against Girona, it's you've seen examples of this. So it's not like Marcelo is not gonna be known for his defense and he's if he's not known for it now, he's not ever going to be. But what he does with the ball, um, I don't think I've ever seen, ever. Yeah, I mean, he's so, what I love about him, he's so natural and he's so nonchalant about the way he pulls things off. And it's just, sometimes you just you just laugh. Like when you see it, it's just unbelievable. You just, your jaw drops and you just laugh. You're like, oh my God, how do you, how do, you do that? And so... I mean, like you said, he's not going to be known for his defensive skills, although I do think it has improved dramatically, dramatically since he was a young player. Um, but he's he's got that, he more than makes up with it because he's got that, he's a secret weapon. He comes from deep and can completely unlock a defense. So, I mean, what what like you said, what more can be said about Marcelo? Droysten Drenthe is the next one on your list. Do wow, you, what? <laughs> do you, where were you when we signed Drenthe and how much did you know about him? So, I had, I felt, I was really, really excited about Drenthe because I had been following the under-21 European Championships and he lit it up. Like, yeah. he, he looked like Ronaldinho. He was pulling off snakes. He kind of yeah. stylistically, like, a little bit played like that, and uh, outside of the foot snake and scissors, and he was so he just had all the tools. He was he was an athletic specimen. He had speed. He had strength. He had technique. A powerful left foot. I mean, he, he had it all, and uh, he was young. I mean, I was really, really, really excited about him. He came out his debut. He scores that golasso in the Super Cup. I mean, it 
this this the ceiling was so high with it. I think everyone was pretty excited, and then he's probably the biggest one on this one of the biggest disappointments on this list. And it's oh my goodness, the guy retired by 30 years old after a very disappointing career. He was, by all accounts, a huge flop, and um, I'm sure you saw how he revealed to Marca that he went out many nights in Madrid, couldn't say no, and as a Real Madrid player, it's impossible to, to give up all these parties, the beautiful girls, the beautiful city, um, so it just, the attitude was never there for him, and he he had it all to be one of the next level left winger, left left backs, but it just never came together. So he was crazy good in that 2007 under 21 European Championship. Like just, I was like, my God, this guy's so exciting. I can't wait for this guy to come. I think what unfolded after that, like, and if you look at his whole career, at that very moment, if you were to like carve out uh, a worst case scenario path for him, it was what happened basically, where he just, he played over five seasons for Real Madrid. I think he played 40, 40 to 45 appearances what he had over those forty five uh, of those five seasons. And apart from a few moments of brilliance, like I remember he had a really great golazo against Sevilla from deep in the, it was a Spanish Super Cup. Those moments were so sporadic where, and this is the problem is that he just didn't care about football. Like he did not did not care. Sometimes we can make that a claim about a football, and it's not true because we just don't know what's in their head, and we're assuming, and it's unfair. He didn't care. He didn't had no interest in playing football, and that that obviously, when you show up to your work and you just don't care, that that's a huge difference. And it's not like when he was thirty and he retired. It's not like there was no single team on earth that wouldn't take a gamble on him. It's um, he, you know, he didn't really find a club, but it was just like, you know what? I just kind of want to rap instead now, and that's what it was. And then he was gone. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely one of the biggest disappointments. Yeah. Um, Danny Parejo is next on your list. So this is Danny Parejo is uh, an interesting one. I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts as well. He was dubbed the Jewel of La Fabrica by Alfredo De Stefano and. He was, I mean, if there was any player that was weird, I, I felt most Madrid fans were really excited about coming from the Cantera. It was Danny Parejo. He was the first guy to really come up since the likes of Raul Guti and Iker, Iker Casillas. And um, he was promoted to the first team in the summer of 2008, but he was immediately loaned out to QPR that summer. And they, I, I remember Madrid saying they wanted him to gain that extra physicality, add that that uh, aspect to his game so that he'd come back and be ready to take on the next level at Madrid. And halfway through the season, as we talked about, that 2008-2009 season was just horrendous. Uh, Schuster was fired, Juan de Ramos was brought in, and Parejo was brought back, and the club made frantic signings in Huntelaar and Lastiara. And so Danny never really got an opportunity to play. I mean, I, I personally was, I loved him when he played. He had, he was so silky. He just played the quick one-twos, quick one-touch. Uh, he had an incredible touch. Uh, I, I, I want, I, I was rooting for him. I thought he was going to be one of the next big stars. I, I wanted a young Spanish player to come up through the team. Um, I liked how he played stylistically. I, I just liked everything about him, but he was never really given the opportunity, and 
is I guess the question is Danny Parejo Real Madrid quality? I I think probably. I think he could definitely be a squad player here without a doubt and a very good one. But I don't think. But the real I think the real answer is he never hit those heights that were expected of him. Um, and for that, he might be dubbed a disappointment. I I like the idea of what he represented was a uh, a homegrown basically talented central midfielder who could pull strings together nice stylistically. I like what he represented. I I didn't like the way he played on the pitch, to be honest. I I never was that impressed with him. I think what he represented and what fans wanted him to be and hoped to be was a lot more than what he could do. Um I also I also think he was he's he was wildly inconsistent. This is the best year of his career by far. And it's not even close. Like, this yeah. is the first year he's actually showed us what he can do. And like, oh, wow, this is the player you were supposed to be. Congratulations, you're 28. Which is not that old now. I mean, like, he's actually young. So it's not, it's not, his career is not bad by any means. And Marcelino has got him to play really good this season. Last season, he was wildly inconsistent. He was frustrating to watch. He had temper tantrums. He's kind of like the, the, um, I think if you were to make like a, a table of the most annoying players in La Liga, it would be like Jordi Alba, Raul Garcia, uh, and I think Parejo would would find a seat there. Just <laughs> he's, and the fact that he was so inconsistent, um, I think it you know it drove Valencia fans nuts last season. He mentioned himself like he can't go out in the street because fans just will shot, shot abuse at him, which is not okay. And, um, you know, side note, I'm really glad that Andre Gomez actually got uh, a nice reception yesterday at the Camp Nou because I, I firmly believe that these guys go through severe mental health problems and we just don't hear about it. But um, it's kind of cool to see what Marcelino has brought out in him, not only in terms of discipline, in terms of consistency, but also surrounding him with better players um, like putting someone like Condogbia next to him, Soler and Guedes, like people who actually can play with, people who can help him defensively, who can take the offensive load off of him to create. He looks really good. I would agree with you that he could pull off a squad role in this team. I don't think he's a, he's a starter. But at this stage of his career, if this is his ceiling, I think his ceiling is probably good enough to be a squad player. But overall, Matt, I the Danny Parejo experience for me was was not like something like oh my god what what a shame like it, I I don't know I didn't I wasn't that high on him to begin with to be honest yeah I, I think I was probably maybe a little bit more high on him than you were um, but I agree I think we when it comes down to it he just he didn't he's the best his ceiling is a squad player here and I mean that's he's not gonna. He's not going to hit the heights that people expected of him. Um, it wasn't, again, another one of these young players that they don't all pan out. And so you just got to you gotta have patience with them and you can't overhype them because you, know, you, you just don't know how it's all going to turn out. Unfairly for him too, um, we had just seen Ruben De La Red come into the team who blew our minds. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on Ruben De La Red. He was my favorite. I'm devastated for him. I I think Ruben De La Red would have been a club legend. 
I he, agree. No, yeah. I don't. I don't even think that's embellishment. Like I agree. Yeah. Um, like, he was phenomenal. He was outrageously, outrageously good, aesthetically perfect. Um, and we had just seen him come in the the previous season, I think it was, and and then he Delaret didn't play at all the, the season where Parejo came in. Um, but we were just kind of like, hey, you're not Delaret. <laughs> And that's, yeah. that's not fair to him, but um, Sergio Canales. Tell us about him. So Sergio Canales really just shot onto the scene with Racing Santander. Um, as an 18-year-old, he kind of like around the November, December time frame, burst onto the scene, started getting some games and scored two goals. Um, and immediately following his two goals, I don't know if it was on his debut or not, but immediately following his two goals, he scored again in another match and just became the subject of a very common transfer war between Real Madrid and Barcelona. And uh, Madrid would ultimately win the win the war. We signed him for $4.5 million. Uh, he was signed in the, that winter, but he was loaned back to Racing Santander to continue playing and then would joined the team in the summer of 2010 when Jose Mourinho first uh, took over. And he actually played amazing in the preseason, scored against Club America on his debut. He started the first match of the season, relegating Ozil to the bench. and uh, But from there, it was just downhill. He never really got much more minutes. He only played 518 minutes for the club, 10 appearances in that one and only season. And another guy that was just ravaged by knee injuries and it's it's a shame because again it was another one i had i hope for yeah i really liked the way he played uh he kind of reminded me of guti a little bit um i don't know if that's just because he looks a little bit like it but he, he's a little bit played like him and uh i i i had high hopes for him i did too i i think the canales thing was more sad than anything right like he was really talented um for Racing, like there was definitely there was one game where he played against Real Madrid, and I think that's where we like really caught our eye. It was like, wow, this guy's really good. Um, and unfortunately, injuries just destroyed him, and that's really sad. And they were kind yeah. of out of they were out of his control, and you just kind of feel bad for him. It's not like he, and I, and I think it's really hard mentally to recover from all that. How uh, many yeah. tours ACL three times? Something I think three times. times right? It was like always something. Like one it was never playing, nothing. Like it was always something. Yeah, and one time playing against Real Madrid, I remember it was like his one of his first games back, and then he tore it again playing at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. So it's just, I always felt for him. He's starting to, I mean, starting to find some good rhythm now with uh, Real Sociedad. Yeah, he is. I mean, like so he's been there for five years. He had he played thirty six games. Sorry, 43 games in 14-15, which was um, the most of his career, which is good. Um, had more injuries in next season. Bounced back 16-17. This season, it's been weird because uh, he's been playing regularly. So it seems like his injury, knock on wood, his injuries are, are a bit behind him, which is nice to see because he's still only 27. Like, it feels like Canales has been around forever. He's still young. Yeah. Um, he... To me, like, and this is coming from someone who's watched a lot of Sociedad this season, he, he hasn't been good. And up until the last two, three months, he's actually been really good. And I'm not sure where this resurgence has come from. Um, 
but he played really well against Barca, which surprised me because like the the game before, I was like, why is this guy even playing? Like this is an elephant in the room. Like he's playing all this time, and he's doing nothing. And and then ever since that, he just kind of turned it around and he's looked good. So I'm happy for him. Um, you know, Canales is one of those guys, good kid. You want him to succeed, so hopefully, hopefully he can make a career out of it. Rafael Varane needs no introduction. Yeah. I don't know no how much more we can say about him, but please, please tell us. <laughs> no introduction, as you said. Um, and when we, so when Varane kind of came onto the scene, he was only 17 years old. He was breaking into the Lens team, um, and. He, if you remember, Sir Alex Ferguson was all over him as well. Manchester United were dying to sign him. Um, but it was our man Zinedine Zidane that made the difference. Uh, it was a phone call from Zidane that kind of convinced Varane. Brought him, they brought him out to Valdebedas, gave him the full tour. Uh, and he, he, he was convinced from there. And when he came in, no, we really didn't know anything about him. I remember... Uh, the summer he came in, when uh, Real Madrid came out to Philadelphia, uh, I saw them play against the Union, and Varane got to start that game. And I, I was impressed. He was assured. He was composed. Um, and he was only 18 years old. I was like, hmm, this, this, young kid's got, this young kid's got a chance. And uh, every time he got an opportunity, he played well. And uh Fortunately for Varane, I mean, unlike Canales and Gago, he's dealt with injuries as well as we all know, and he ruptured his knee ligaments early in his career, but ultimately it didn't curtail his development too much. He's gone on to be a rock at the back for us, so, um, and he's now finally kind of, his battle with Pepe's finally ended. He's been able to cement himself as one of the first names on the team sheet. He's a future captain future legend of the club, already has three Champions League titles to his name. I mean, like you said, not much else can be said about Varane. We got this one right. You wrote about this, but the fact that he took that phone call when he was really young from Zidane, and then he was he didn't know who it was, but then he recognized the voice, and then he realized it was Zidane, and then he said, he asked if he could we, they could talk later because he couldn't talk at that moment because he was studying for, for university exams. And then he said that people thought he was crazy because he hung up on Zidane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if if I was that was me in that moment, I'd be like, okay, I'll be I'll be there in ten minutes. I'm quitting school right now. No problem. Like, I'm... <laughs> yeah. I would have been like, if I like thought it was a joke or something, and then I realized it was Zidane, I'd be like trying to call him back like like crazy. Like, oh I my god, I wouldn't take the risk. I'd be like, oh my god, what if this ne- this what if he he I hang up the phone on him? He's like, this guy's lost his chance, and that's it. I would yeah. have packed my bags right there. I would have quit school. <laughs> um, we're actually spending more time than I thought we would on this, but there's one, two, two players left. Yep. A third one, which didn't make your list, which we will talk about. Yeah. Morata, who I thought is interesting, an interesting case, because it seems like no matter where he goes for a starting role, he ends up being the backup. And I wonder if this says more about him than we thought when so many people were upset that we chose him over Benzema, including me. Um, 
it's it is strange to me that he goes everywhere he goes. It just it just seems like he eventually makes makes way for a, another striker who the manager will trust over him, which is strange because he's historically in his you know his young history, he's a big game player, um, very good off the bench, but maybe as a starter he's not the same as he is as a bench player. I don't know. He's a, I, I he's an enigma to me. That's 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 what I'll say right now. Yeah, you're right, and I think he's a, I think he's a bit of a head case. I think he's a very a highly emotional player, and he's mentally, I think that that gets to him. And I think I don't know if you saw his interview. Uh, Sid Lowe had interviewed him and wrote about it, and it really came across to me that he's definitely just. A highly, highly emotional player. Things get to him. Um, there was a story about how, like, Kalini and Buffon kind of—he was crying after Juventus practice, and Kalini and Buffon told him, "Hey, man, like, you—you you, got to man up." Like, they took care of him, but at the same time, they told him, "You got to man up." Like, this is, this is Juventus, and uh, I mean, he—he he understood that, and he got going. But I feel like everywhere he goes, he just kind of. He goes through these patches. He's such a confidence player. He's such a. I feel like maybe his personal life gets in the way. Like, it's all. It's it's a lot with him, and uh, I think mentally he's still very young. So, but I think mentally he's really. That's his biggest. That's his biggest setback. That's what's holding him back from being one of the elite strikers in world football. Is I think he just needs to have that killer attitude, that that confidence that he knows he's going to bury all his chances. And the confidence that he's a world-class player, and he—I don't think he has that in him right now. So, Conte made a huge mistake, by the way, starting not starting him against uh, uh, against Barca. I, if if history has taught us one thing, is that if you have an ex Madridista in your team and you play him against Barca, he will score. And uh, not enough coaches have picked up on this on this very true fact of life. And Conte it, missed it's a fact. Yep, it's a fact. Yeah. Um, last one on your list, Jesse Rodriguez. Very interesting case, um, and in a, and in a way, very close to Madridista hearts. A lot of people um, are still heard about this, which you have written about. Kind of cautious making this comp- comparison, but I'm gonna make it because I don't think it's actually that off the mark. He's very similar to Drenthe in the sense that I'm not sure how much he cares about football. Um, I also think he's better than he thinks he is, which is good. It's a good thing. That's that's a really good trait to have, actually, is when you're that confident in football. Um, I think he's a bit of a nutcase who who actually... Um, I don't I don't know if he if he really cares about the game that much. And it, it it's clear to me kind of also just the his his mannerisms, the way sometimes he would carry himself on the pitch. Um and he had a lot of unfortunate injuries. And he has attitude problems also. He's a bit of a head case. And that was like that was evident like two months ago with Stoke where he didn't get on the pitch and he just left the stadium early, like before the game was over. It was really weird. And that's the kind of kind of figure that Jesse has been I I don't know if he'll ever recover from this yeah and I think in fairness to him out of that Stoke scenario I think 
what was going on there is he just had a son who's uh oh okay i knew i thought his son came after but i I could be wrong i think that's what the i think that was the scenario he just had a son and who for those who don't know is born with a lot of complications is living like kind of day by day and but the other thing to that story is apparently and i don't want to go off on too much of a tangent but apparently his then girlfriend who he had this son with is come out um on social media kind of bad mouthing him saying you you buy these chains, you fly all around the world, you do whatever you want, but you don't take care of your son, and you're not there for your son. You don't pay for him. You don't, you don't help my family like take care of him, and kind of really painting a bad picture of Hesse. And uh, another interesting kind of per- another personality flaw or characteristic of him is that I mean, I remember uh, Phil Kittramelides had talked about how there was a very Hesse and Kadira both had. Uh, suffered their injuries around the same time and he said there was a night and day difference about the way Kadira had trained to get back um, from his injury and the way Hesse had trained huh. and you saw that as well from how quickly Kadira came back um, it was like a couple months before Hesse even and uh, I think that that's that, I think we kind of see the picture with Hesse and it's it's unfortunate because, honestly, he was probably the brightest talent to come out of La Fabrica since the turn of the century. I mean, he was incredibly broke every record with Castilla. He scored goals like it was his job. Uh, he was just, and that when he was breaking onto the scene with Madrid, he was just, he was, he was unplayable. And Ancelotti even said, if Hesse had stayed fit, we would have won the treble. And, it, again, that's not outlandish to say. He was an incredible, incredible talent. And it's definitely one of the biggest heartbreaks for most Madridistas because he was one of our own. He was a kid who came up through the youth system. You, it felt like he bled white. It felt like he had Madrissimo in his veins. And it was just, it was killer to never see him get back to those levels that he had. And maybe it, it is a question of attitude and it is a question of, was it all there for him? And um, it's it's really disappointing because what a talent he was. He was he was a he was a big time player. It seemed like when he came back from his injury, he looked a bit. I wouldn't say heavy, but leg heavy maybe. He, yeah. he definitely lost a step. He wasn't as dynamic. He was a bit slower. Um, I was really excited that he actually came back to Las Palmas um, from that PSG disaster stint and. And he just really didn't show us anything there. And and also, by the way, there was kind of like a ticking time bomb having him next to Boateng. I, I don't know. I don't think they... Um, it just such such big personalities in that sense where they, um, they... I don't know if they meshed. And But he also on the pitch just didn't look good. And I, he, he was... Nice, exciting uh, debut for Stoke where he scored against Arsenal. They won that game. Um, but by the time we um, we sold him to PSG, um, I think it was the right move, and I had written about it at the time because a lot of a lot of fans were kind of emotionally attached to him and be like, "I can't believe we let Chayse go. He's still young." The reality was that he was fighting with four other players just for a backup backup spot, not even a starting spot. Um, not many teams were willing to pay 25 million 
and PSG were. And I'm not sure where else you were going to get that kind of money from at that time. So I can understand why Realmadrid pulled the trigger on his sale. Um, and, and the fact that also there was no buyback in, in, in France. That was it. Like that, I think that's what was hard for fans to accept. Um, but I think if... if um, yeah, I, I, I just think it was the right move at the time. I think hindsight has proved us right, which is which is good, but also sad at the same time because you, you're kind of sad that this is what Hesse essentially amounted to. Yeah, in retrospect, it, it was a good move. And like you said, it's sad because we we all had high hopes. Even going back to Las Palmas, we all hoped he would rekindle that form. We got to see him in La Liga again. And even now at Stoke, it's just it's not coming off for him. And he's still relatively young. He's 25, but, I mean, it just... I don't think we'll ever see him reach the levels that everyone expected. You essentially have one more player, but you didn't include him, and you already know who that is, right? Javier Portillo? Yes. Do you have any memories of him? Uh, Yeah. uh, Portillo, for me, he was another one of these guys that you... He he was he was really talked up as the next Raul. Um, he was a striker who, uh, like Hesse, had scored a bunch of goals in the youth system, was breaking records, and um, was really well thought of by the club and by everyone. And was everyone was excited to see him come up, and he just never ever really showed anything that made him look like one of a Real Madrid quality, and he never. He bounced around from club to club. Um, never really, his career was not great, um, and he was definitely a disappointment. He was just one of those guys. He, he was a young player that came up during the Galactico era, and um, he was a hope of, for the Madrid fans. But he just, he never, he, for me, he never really had anything that kind of stood out. I. I actually thought Portillo was going to be amazing. And I'm really? surprised he dropped off the way he did. And the reason I thought he was going to be as amazing as I thought he would be was because he shattered um, Raul's goal-scoring record with the youth system. Um, and then he comes in his very first La Liga game. Um, he... I think he scored on his debut. I'm trying to think. Uh, did he score? Did he score? I can't remember. But I do remember that he he scored an unbelievable 40-yard screamer against Panathinaikos in the Champions League, which came out of nowhere. And that was like one of his first games. I was like, okay, this guy, I'm so ready for this guy. Hmm. And then he scored the uh, and then one of the most important goals during that era, like at all. It was... Uh, it was uh, equalizer at the last second against Dortmund in Dortmund, and if they he didn't score that goal, Real Madrid would actually been knocked out of the group stages. Like they were going out, that was it in the group stages in the Galactico era. It was unfathomable. Two thousand two, um, which was the same season, by the way, where they went on to put one of the greatest performances over two legs against Manchester United, and it was like really fond memories. We would have never had that if Portillo. Didn't score in the group stages the last second against Dortmund. They were going out, um, and I thought this this kid is is really promising. And then that was it. Like that was the peak. Was that goal? Like that's it. We yeah. 
He bounced around, like you said. He went on loan to Belgium. Um, he scored eight goals in Belgium in 24 appearances. And then he went to Segunda. And he retired in 2015. He's 35 now. So, Portillo also. Now they're disappointed. This is, this is why I said at the beginning. We wait for the next Raul to come. We wait for the next X to come. The next whoever. And just when we think we have him, he still has to go and actually prove it over the course of his career, which 95% of the time they just don't. And and this is why the players that actually do are so rare. Yeah, so when we're looking at our these new crop of young players, we got Teo, we got Sabayos, we got Ashraf, we got Odegaard, we got Vinicius Jr. Yeah. Uh, we have Asensio, we have Viejo. Like, we got to be patient with these guys. Eat every single one of their careers is going to pan out differently. They're all going to develop differently. Some may not. Some may have great five-year careers with Madrid and then go elsewhere. Some may spend their life, and some may just not work out at all. So it's it's And some may be ravaged by injuries. Like, you just never know what's going to happen. Each story is different. I mean, doing this article, that's what I found. Each story is different. Each player is different. Every career is different. So... Uh, we just gotta enjoy it. Like for every, for every Sergio Ramos, there's a Fernando Gago, and so um, unfortunately the Ramoses, the Raúls, those guys are very, very rare. So when they do come up, you have to glorify them. You have to enjoy them. You have to really just enjoy the time you have watching them as a player. And uh, it's 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 fun. It's fun to sign these young players, but you always gotta keep things in perspective and. Don't get too carried away by the hype. And be patient. That's the bottom line. Like We had to be very patient with Ramos and Marcelo. And um, and if we weren't, then we, we wouldn't have been able to see the fruits they bear. Um, I think this is a good place to leave it. Matt, um, it's been an hour. I, I, thought we would, I thought this would take half hour. Turns out I was wildly incorrect. And I usually <laughs> am about these things. Um, at any rate, do you want to plug anything? Anything else you want to work on in the future that you're you want to give us a teaser about or no? So a couple things I've thought about after actually writing this article, and we touched on uh, one of them. Uh, Ruben De La Red, I I adored him. I thought the world of him. I he was like about he was going to be one of my favorite players, and uh, I was just absolutely devastated with everything that happened to him. I might do a sort of kind of tribute article to him or something along those lines and then another thing i'm thinking about writing um interestingly and you and i talked about this off air madrid really um in the years florentino signed galacticos david beckham zinedine Zidane, raul or not raul sorry uh, ronaldo Mm -hmm. we those were the only guys we signed those summers we didn't we didn't purchase anyone else there were no other transfers and a lot. I mean, I was surprised by that. You know, I, I feel like I remember us bringing in other guys, but um, that that wasn't the case. And I think it's interesting to go back and just look at how our strategy strategy has evolved over time, um, how the market evolves, and uh, just looking, just giving some perspective on just the crazy world that is the transfer market, and especially for Real Madrid. Yeah, and I think I think one of the reasons we think that. Those summers were also like Zidane plus these guys, Beckham plus these guys, uh, OG Ronaldo plus these guys. I think it's because also like 
in the past, like 2009, 2010, when we had that huge influx, it was like four guys coming at once, you know? Yeah. Um, and transfer, busy transfer windows. It wasn't until last season where we started to really kind of change that and only buy the essentials and, and, and fine-tune the squad. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, essentially it was Zidane, for example, plus uh, a bunch of players returning from loan or being called up. That was it. Um, which which makes your article a bit easier to narrow down also. <laughs> yeah. All right, Matt Wiltsey. Um, let's, let's wait for those articles and uh, maybe we'll do this again. Uh, and certainly... I would I would love to to talk about De La Red too if you write about him. Um, very sad, but also just that even though it was brief, it was a it was a joy to have him in the team. Matt Wiltsey, thank you for joining me. Thank you for your writing. Um, and hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Guys, before I let you go, I wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our amazing patrons. And for those of you listening who are not patrons yet, you're missing out. It's not. It's only a dollar a month minimum to get in on the action, but you can pledge way more if you like um, and also get different awards based on your pledge. Uh, but one of the rewards is you actually get access to exclusive content, exclusive shows, such as all Champions League post games, um, including the mailbag I did last night about whether I would like to see Neymar in Real Madrid and who I would like to avoid in the Champions League draw. At any rate, one of your rewards is also if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout-out on this podcast. So I want to take the time to do this now. Um, so shout-out to all these $10-plus patrons who support the show. Thank you so much, guys. Nick Stefani, Frederick Sundros, Leon Stavronakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Ian Marley, Dan Berthy, Jahan Watson, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obey, Daniel Smith, Solomon Artiz, and Jeanette. You guys are unbelievable. You guys are just phenomenal human beings. Thank you so much. Um, it means a lot to us that you guys support us. And also, shout out to all of our patrons. Um, so many of you now. 340, I think, was my last count. Um, who, are, who are getting access to all our exclusive content and supporting us just because um, we like what we do. And that that is um, that warms our heart. So thank you guys. Kian Sobani signing off and Halamari. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sports Social Podcast Network.
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.